Hi, welcome to InSync, the podcast that explores the history and impact of some of your favorite music moments in TV and film. I'm your host, Rachel Brodsky. And my job is beach. At the time of recording, Greta Gerwig's massively successful Barbie movie is the number one film at the box office, something that feels weird to say, given how difficult it is to even get audiences excited to go to the movies at all anymore. There's a lot to Barbie, uh, to the bonkers popularity, including an incredible script by Greta Gerwig and longtime partner Noah Baumbach, literal world-building set design, a delightful ensemble cast, including Margot Robbie as the titular Barbie doll, a.k.a. stereotypical Barbie, Ryan Gosling playing a beach-obsessed Ken who discovers patriarchy, and a slew of other big names such as Issa Rae as President Barbie, Kate McKinnon as Weird Barbie, Michael Sarah as the discontinued Alan doll, plus America Ferrara, Rhea Perlman, and Will Ferrell. Barbie also features a pitch-perfect, explosively pop-minded soundtrack, with new songs from Dua Lipa, who has an acting role in the movie, Nicki Minaj and Ice Spice, who interpolate Aqua's classic Barbie Girl, plus Indigo Girls, Tame Impala, Haim, Charlie XCX, Lizzo, Pink Panthers, Carol G, Ava Max, Dominic Bike, Gail, The Kid Leroy, Khalid, 50-50, Callie. Though there's a wide range of needle drops to choose from, Aviv and I instantly agreed that this episode of NSYNC had to be about Matchbox 20's 1997 single Push, which becomes something of a bro anthem for all the Kens in Barbie land. I guess the patriarchy wins again. To help us dig into the significance and history of Push showing up in this way, we have a special guest, Rotten Tomatoes correspondent Mark Ellis, who leads the on-camera efforts at Rotten Tomatoes, co-hosts a weekly podcast called Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, and Mark's new stand-up special is out now. It's called Alive and Well. All this and more on the latest episode of InSync. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, we are gathered here today to talk about a huge summer blockbuster, about a complicated inventor and their most famous invention, inspired by work from Germany, suspicious of the German iteration of this invention. This inventor races to complete their masterwork, originally culturally considered to be a huge successful step forward for humanity. With cultural reappraisal, this invention maybe did more harm than good. And this film is a relatively nuanced look at the inventor, the invention, the aftermath that maybe glosses over some of the important bits of historical context. The movie in question was directed by sometimes divisive 21st century auteur known for co-writing their scripts with members of their own family, who has, after proving themselves with a black and white film, basically been given carte blanche to adapt whatever properties they choose, always showing their unique sense of style. And they love bringing in their same repertory cast to pull off their grand, ambitious vision. In their latest film, 
a one-word titled effort influenced by the films of Stanley Kubrick, among others, they have gotten people off their couches and out of the heat for the best box office weekend in years. As I was conceiving of this bit, I thought it would be rather brief, not fully realizing the similarities between the two biggest movies of 2023, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer and Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Both directors are blonde, but only one of them has an historic needle drop by Matchbox 20. Because I absolutely cannot be trusted to refrain from this bit, we called in some reinforcements in the form of Mark Ellis. Mark is a Rotten Tomatoes correspondent and co-host of the podcast Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Mark, we want to welcome you to our Mojo Dojo Casa House. Thank you for being this here. This is the dream house for me. And and I love the description of this soundtrack as explosively pop-minded because whether you're talking about really Oppenheimer or Barbie, there's a lot of stuff going on. And I now am just so wondering if Christopher Nolan regrets utilizing Rob Thomas's voice in some capacity or the lack thereof. That's what was really missing during Oppenheimer. Here comes the bomb. Yeah. <laughs> So many sex scenes in that movie, but not enough Matchbox 20 for my liking. <laughs> you heard it here first, baby. There's going to be a point in this conversation where, so I'm a music writer most of the time, and I have interviewed Rob Thomas semi-recently. It was like in April, it's like a month before Matchbox 20 released their latest album. And I, I, I want to congratulate Rob Thomas formally. He and Matchbox 20, like they should be on the butt rock cruise. I don't know if mm-hmm. you see that, what like Creed. Oh, I'm aware. And, yeah. And <laughs> they should be there, but they are not. They are instead leading the cultural conversation. And I just want to give them a big hand, but it's also not unearned because Rob Thomas truly is a mensch. That's um, nice. Anyway, uh, Mark, please tell us about yourself. What do you do? What's your life story? How did you like Barbie? And what was your favorite musical moment? Oh, well, don't worry. My life story only takes about a minute. Then we'll get up to the really important stuff, which is Barbie and its soundtrack therein. Um, I am an Air Force brat who went to school in North Carolina, the same state I was born, a lot of moving in between. I'm a comedian, and I am lucky enough to get to host stuff here at Rotten Tomatoes. And I've always been a huge movie fan. And it's funny that I get to do this show because I particularly love movie soundtracks, and I love the way that a soundtrack can either overtly drive a story, like with something like any Ken would know, Rocky Four, or it can just sort of be Hell, like nice background yes. music that kind of informs you where we are in time and place, like a Forrest Gump or a Dazed and Confused. And sometimes you don't even know the music's there until it gets taken away. You watch something with a great orchestral sound like The Godfather. We know Ken's love that. If you take away <laughs> The Godfather score. It's a completely different feeling movie. And so I feel like Barbie sort of completes all of these tasks where it has songs that clearly are driving the story, but there's also just so much there. There's so many hidden gems in this movie from a sonic standpoint where, you know, like like a lot of comic book movie fans love looking for Easter eggs and like hints as to like, oh, was that the that guy's glove that's just laying in a pile of trash and it'll come back three movies later. Here, there's so many little Easter eggs for your eardrums to enjoy in addition to everything that you're seeing on screen. So it's just another sort of check in, in another box of how masterful Greta Gerwig and co. pulled a movie like this off. I completely 1000% agree. Shout out to my friend Nick's band. My friend Nick was in a Rocky Four cover band. They just played the songs from Rocky Four. A Rocky Four cover band yeah. sounds like my dream birthday night. <laughs> 
So a little context on the Barbie movie before we talk about the specific needle drop. Warning, spoilers ahead for Barbie movie. If you have not seen Barbie movie... Get Maybe. to a theater and do it. Get to a th- yeah. yeah. Who are? Yeah. Where have you been? It's all. It's going to be spoiled for you on TikTok at this point. Anyway, I've already yes. seen like a thousand clips surreptitiously shot in the <laughs> From theater. The theater. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try to keep the emotional spoilers out of it, but plot spoilers ahead. After a brief prologue homage to 2001: A Space Odyssey, narrated by Dame Helen Mirren. The movie settles in on Barbie, the stereotypical Barbie played impeccably by Margot Robbie, who, after an opening number kind of reminiscent of Elle Woods or Cher Horowitz, says hello to all the other Barbies, lawyer Barbie, President Barbie, astrophysicist Barbie, and Ken, played impeccably, equally as impeccably, by noted fist bump aficionado Ryan Gosling. We'll talk about Ryan Gosling loving to fist bump a little later. (laughs) Gosling's Ken freely admits that he only lives for Barbie's attention, and it's clear that he loves her, but it's also kind of clear that she does not love him back. After an existential awakening, Barbie realizes that the border between Barbie land and the real world has become porous, and she hops in her dream car to find the little girl who's playing with her and giving her all these depressed, nihilistic thoughts. The only problem is, well, not the only problem. The first problem is that Ken, hoping to make Barbie love him back, stows away. Once Barbie gets to the real world, she discovers it's not quite like Barbie land at all, and men are largely in charge. Barbie winds up on a park bench and tells an older woman how beautiful she is. I needed to mention this scene because I need to bust a myth real quick. I see this super pervasively on TikTok. The woman that Barbie meets on the park bench is not Barbara Handler. Right. (laughs) It is costume designer Ann Roth, but the internet, who can't do a simple Google search, has taken and run with the idea that that is Barbara Handler, the real Barbie. I have not seen that anywhere. Oh, I see it everywhere. Yikes. And I like don't want to be like, um, no, do a Google. It sort of harkens back to a more innocent time when we didn't have the internet, and so we could just make we stuff just make up. Shit. Like, yeah, the, the kid who was, who was his friend in the Wonder Years is actually Marilyn Manson, and like you couldn't fact check anybody, so you just had to believe it. How come all of our urban legends were about Marilyn Manson? Like Paul from the Wonder Years oh was God. Marilyn Manson, and also the rib thing. The rib thing. The, I, yeah, the, the, the rib thing is one of the most like pervasive non-internet kids. The three of us grew up in different states. Yeah, and, and we all, all know I had, the rib we thing. all know the rib thing. I would go so far as to say Al Gore invented the internet just to get us to stop talking about Marilyn Manson. <laughs> Marilyn Manson's dick. <laughs> I'm happy to never talk about. Him. I didn't really want to talk about Marilyn Manson like before all the stuff. Yeah, but now, now I, not now so I, much. Yeah, right. <laughs> so Barbie winds up on the wrong side of the Mattel Corporation, who wants to put Barbie quote back in the box. And the movie convinces audience that maybe it'll be a retread of the Lego movie, complete with Will Ferrell as the CEO of Mattel. I'm keeping emotional spoilers out of this retelling, like I said, but the movie subverts our expectations when Ken returns to Barbie land after discovering the patriarchy and how he might lift the other Kens up while putting all the Barbies down. When Barbie returns to Barbie land, she finds that her friends have all been brainwashed into being subservient to men. And with the help of Kate McKinnon's weird Barbie and Michael Sarah's scene-stealing Alan, America Ferrara and Ariana Greenblatt, who are from the real world, Barbie sets off on a plan to pit the Kens against each other to distract them from taking the Barbie's rights away. And what is the Trojan horse, you ask? To allow the Kens to play acoustic guitar and sing at them. Matchbox 20's push. 
feigning interest until pivotally moving on to one of the rival Kens. I just want to say, I don't want to assume anything about either of your experiences as men, but have have yes, you? I have. I have. <laughs> have you? Pl- have you either played your guitar at a woman? Hundred percent. Had a yes. guitar played at you because Both you have things. not lived <laughs> until like this. These little things that that came through in the Barbie movie, it's like especially like my whole college experience and early 20s just flashed before my eyes when the Barbies were letting the Kens Ken at them. Yeah, I mean, look, (laughs) I would go so far as to say the reason why I'm a comedian is because I couldn't even play that song on acoustic guitar. Like, (laughs) I wasn't even talented enough to play guitar at anybody, but I also am old enough to remember the maybe the most important thing that Animal House taught all of us was that you oh. never bust out an acoustic guitar at a party. That's and so I was kind of abided by that rule and well into my college years. I'm so, so. glad you brought up Animal House because that's <laughs> literally what I what I was thinking. <laughs> like, And even if they don't smash it, the acoustic guitar. They deserve um, it. They're, they're going to want to smash it. Yep. Yeah. There's a specific Wilco song that has been played acoustically at parties in my college years not by me but by somebody else and it was it happened every time every weekend and so i can't even listen to it anymore 15 20 years later still still a little tender for me (laughs) i have to give some props to a friend of the pod taylor because he is a musician my husband and he has never played his guitar at me unless i was asking him to play fuel songs which hell (laughs) Hell that's, yeah. That's a pro. That's like the, yeah. Just the fact that you have that ability to do that, but you reserve it, that means you really know what you're doing and you're incredibly confident in your ability to play music when you don't have to play at somebody like, hey, look at what I just learned no, on guitar. That's why this scene works so well. And like, I, I'm not going to say ironically, because I, I feel like Greta Gerwig actually does love this song and was she happy does. to yes, use she does. it. But I love the song like too. It, 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 it made me actually, in a weird way, appreciate the song more if that makes sense absolutely like so i'm so excited to dig into this song before we do let's listen to a bit of ryan gosling as ken singing push with the rest of the kens said i don't know if i've ever been good enough i'm a little bit rusty and i think my head is caving in and i don't know if i've ever been real in love my hand lets touch me and I feel like something's got to give And I'm a little bit angry, well, this ain't over No, not here, no Not well, I still need you around You don't own me, we might change, yeah Yeah, we just might feel good was about 10-ish when Push came out in 1997. Push is from Matchbox 20's debut album, Yourself or Someone Like You. It was their second single ever. After Superhero? Um, no. Um, 
shit, hang on. Yeah, it was something that did okay. Do, 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 do. Long day. Long day. Long day was Matchbox 20's first single, and then Push followed it. And I remember hearing Push on the radio constantly, constantly. And I remember feeling kind of whatever about it because it, like, it was fine. It was like a background song for me. I wasn't engaging with it much, but. I do have a specific memory of like singing the words like I want to push you around. I want to take you for granted. And then like having a like Greta Gerwig in an interview describes listening to that like and then not thinking about it until college. And uh, I'm not trying to say I had greater insight <laughs> as like a 10 year old than Greta Gerwig at all. But you can say uh, it. <laughs> no, but I, I do remember being 10 and just being like, what does he mean by that? That doesn't like that's that's strange. And that was like all the thought I gave to it at the time. And little did I know that at the time of its release, Push was actually very controversial for its lyrics. A lot of critics accused the band of glorifying domestic violence, much to Rob Thomas's shock, because he had written the song about an ex-girlfriend who was actually pushing him around. And if you've ever spoken to Rob, you will realize that he's very down to earth about how they became perceived he's just he's not precious and i think that's why the song like he agreed to have the song in barbie in this moment used in this way yeah you don't allow your song to be in this context without having a bit of a sense of humor about yourself he's really he's in on the joke so when the song initially came out some groups were upset they claim the song was about abusing women but at the time rob stated that the man in the song was the one being abused either emotionally or physically and then later we find out this is actually about an ex that someone that he dated at the time he was surprised that the song was being interpreted as misogynistic so this this is actually kind of cool because he's saying this in an interview with the morning call which is a newspaper in Allentown, PA, where oh, yeah, I dude. went to college it, at Muhlenberg College. Shout out the morning call. And, yeah, and Allentown. Yeah. And, good tunes. Yeah. And so he told the morning call at the time that uh, a former girlfriend of his was, quote, an ingredient in the song, but other people have scarred me. I mean, I'm not going to pay my third grade librarian who gave me shit about not returning green eggs and ham. <laughs> so, okay. Bassist Brian Yale added in that interview, we were kind of surprised when we heard all that stuff. Our response was, wow, really? No, it's not about that. I mean, just meet us. We're not the manliest of men all the time. I'm a short guy. I don't think I could kick anyone's butt. <laughs> I, I mean, we're all people who like create things that go out into the world in different ways like it is staggering the lengths that people can go to purposely or by accident misinterpret a thing that you have created i I mean i will say this is pretty easy to misinterpret you know like i because even like i was in high school when this when this song came out and i don't remember any of the controversy even though i could hear the lyrics and i was like is he is he singing about what i think he's singing about yeah because the overwhelming response to matchbox 20 in my sort of purview was how hard women were falling in love with rob thomas that they adored him and that he was just this like new 
it guy in the world of music. And so it didn't matter what he was singing about. <laughs> like it just, he's the guy that we're falling in love with. I don't care what he said, what, what the lyrics mean. So, you know, it is tough when you're a storyteller, essentially as, as a lead singer would be, and you're telling a story from somebody's perspective and then it gets out there in the world. And like you said, Aviv, it's like, then we just kind of take your art and make it into. It's ours we, now. It's right. whatever. We form yeah, it right. into whatever story and narrative we think it means. And then that sometimes more than what the original intention was gets out there in the world. And that's why, you know, the band then has to explain, like, look at us. Like, I never looked at Matchbox 20 as like a bunch of alpha bros. Like, they just kind of seemed like a fun band to hang out with and just kind of be background music at a party. Yeah. When I talked to Rob months ago, like well before the Barbie stuff, he talked about how Matchbox 20 were able to continue as a band like they they all go to therapy together. He is a very pro therapy guy. Hell yeah, he, dude. He's actually been married to the same woman since the late 90s. And like That's like 2000 years in rock star world. Yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> I think he there is some stuff out there about when Matchbox 20 did become really really famous. He had some substance stuff but he's very intentional i think like especially in the last 15 plus years about he see he just seems like a very healthy person and a down-to-earth like i mentioned person and especially like where he came from like he had a tough upbringing he had a rough childhood like you know moving around a lot dad wasn't really in the picture much and i think he lived with his grandma more than anybody else and so it's not easy and so if you can become an adult get super famous not just from matchbox 20 but even if you've never heard Matchbox 20 or rob thomas you know the santana song smooth yeah and it's like to come through that and still acknowledge that you have work to do and you want to be in therapy, the band taking the uh, Metallica, some kind of monster route to yeah. you know, right. heal themselves. It's all like wonderful stuff that you hear about Matchbox 20 now. The, I think the thing that that puts them into that kind of butt rock category is his like Jarl. He like yeah. has the Scott Stapp voice and like my... And they're all in like the post grunge. Right. Post grunge era my wife who is like very triggered by you know bands like pearl jam and creed and stuff has trouble listening to matchbox 20 even though the content of the song is quite different it's not she fucking hates me or i like (laughs) your pants around your feet or what's that (laughs) puddle of mud song that like absolute trash band but (laughs) it it like is dressed up like that a little like through his vocal performance like feels like that a little bit which i think is is what lends it to be the perfect bridge point between a really masculine douchey genre of music and a feminist movie like barbie yeah when matchbox first came out they were kind of like a hybrid of what nirvana started in popular culture Mm -hmm. but also they really love like Toad the Wet Sprocket and like I'm so the- glad you brought Toad the Wet Sprocket up. Not only was that my first concert, but they also have a song that is very misunderstood that was actually an anti-rape song that was like take her down and hold her down and hold her down. Oh yeah. And yeah. And, and you know, again, yeah. like like you know, musically it's a fine song, but you hear the lyrics and you're like, what story are we this is the all I want guys? Yeah. This is the walk on the ocean guys singing this? I want to read a quote. So Rob Thomas spoke to USA Today about the push sink in Barbie. And he said, I want to preface this by saying that I thought it was hilarious. But in 
bring it on, Kirsten Dunst's character has this douchey boyfriend. And there's a scene where he was in his dorm room with a Matchbox 20 poster in the background. There was a whole period during the 90s where the more successful we got, the bigger target we were. We were an easy takedown. So when I got the call for Barbie, they told me, Ken's by the fireside, he's playing the song, and it's his favorite band. <laughs> so I did this thinking I'd be the butt of the joke, and I was fine with that. I'm pretty thick-skinned. But Julie Greenwald from Atlantic Records came to the Hollywood Bowl a, a month or two ago, and she'd seen the movie and was like, you come out of it loving Ken and loving Push. And I was like, oh, all right, really good. And <laughs> I think... Mark or Aviv, I can't recall who which of you said it, but... Mark said it, but I was thinking it. You said that, like, well, we think Greta Gerwig really, really likes this song. And she does. I mean, because she told IndieWire, anything I have in a movie, any reference, we referenced The Godfather, Matchbox 20, Dave Matthews Band in Lady Bird. I love all of it. I never put anything in a movie I don't love. And that's true. I don't really have use for the things that I don't have affection for within a movie. There's an interesting thing that I think Greta is doing, we're on a first name basis, that I think Greta Gerwig is doing in this movie and with her movies in general that, that relates to that quote, which is like, we live in like this very binary internet age of like, it's either the greatest thing that's ever existed or it's like a total piece of dog shit. And you can like a thing because it's a little cheesy. You can like a thing because it reminds you of a time and place that you might not have all entirely fond memories of. And I think that the nuance of those moments and the art from a specific time in your life, I'm specifically thinking about Crash into me and in, in Ladybird. It's bittersweet, but there's still more sweet than bitter. That's a big head Todd and the Monsters reference. Sorry. Nicely. We're doing 90s bands. Done. Yeah, I mean, look, that's the era I grew up in. So I, I get all this stuff. And I think that that's why one of the many reasons why you appreciate a filmmaker like Greta Gerwig is that you so feel her own experience with these songs and how she was probably feeling when these songs came out. Because even for me, like as somebody who as the, the music was progressing out of the grunge era, I started going backwards instead of forwards with the music. I just was not interested in anything modern that was coming out other than some of the mid 90s hip hop. I was going back to the classic rock era, to hard rock, and I was discovering, you know, Led Zeppelin and and The Who and early Aerosmith and and stuff like that, as opposed to continuing to just watch MTV and just have them tell me what bands I should be liking now. And for a band like Matchbox 20, or I'd put Dave Matthews Band in there, to be able to go through all the eras that they have and survive them with a sense of humor, I think is so important because we've seen throughout the history of cinema, how important that medium is to shaping somebody's perspective of something else that was in pop culture. Like a great example is Beavis and Butthead, right? They wear an ACDC and Metallica shirt, and they're forever going to be stapled as hard rock to metal gods, those two bands, right? You also have the nerdy neighbor kid 
Stewart, who wears a winger shirt, and Kip Winger, the lead singer of that band, has said, like, that pretty much killed our career because <laughs> he's the nerd and he's wearing a winger shirt. And so if there's a sense of humor involved with it and the band is kind of in on the wink and not like it feels like Matchbox 20 is with this version of Push, not just theirs, but also the Ken singing it, I think that that gives it new life in a way that otherwise it would have completely cut off Matchbox 20. Yeah, I saw on Spotify that they released... They didn't re-release Push, but they did give it some new cover art with It's All Pink. They they leaned into <laughs> it, and in a recent concert, so their Matchbox 20 is currently on tour promoting their album that came out in May. Rob Thomas, before they started playing Push, he was like, I want to dedicate this song to Ryan Gosling. So like everyone's in a good, happy place. Mark, I, I really want to agree with something you said about like Greta Gerwig outlining her experience, which I also think is it's universal because so many people are relating to it. I mean, like there were so many little little moments. You don't have to be like a late 30s millennial woman to like completely relate to what the Barbie movie is. It legitimately is for all ages of people. Nor do I think it's just for people who identify as women. There's a universality to it that <laughs> if you're open-minded enough to see that and let it in, then I think you'll get the most out of a movie like this because there's so many layers. But I know, like, because uh, Greta Gerwig is just a few years older than me, like, I was probably mansplained about pavement and the godfather <laughs> i mean look i i would love to say that i've never done any of those things that you see the kens do in the movie but every yeah. dude has done all those things we may not have knowingly done it we're not doing it to be nefarious or to be overbearing or to support the patriarchy we're just so excited about this thing yeah. and like that's why you know so many dudes have like scarface and the godfather posters on in their dorm and when they're in college and i have you know been that guy that's like sitting down and explaining beat by beat a movie to a female just because I'm like I want you to love this thing like I do but the brilliance of the Barbie movie is that I don't care how big the particular demographic you think is your core group it is very hard to have an opening weekend like what Barbie did and clearly have the biggest of all time yeah, I mean, the staying power that Barbie, I think, is going to have, where I think it's going to cross a billion dollars globally, you don't get that by just appealing to one demographic. You have to welcome more people in. Yeah. And I think part of the genius of using a song that at least most people of a certain age are under, and you don't have to be that old to be that age, understanding what Push is and, and who Matchbox 20, how big they were at the time, and how it's such a great song for the Kens to sing, this movie theater experience was so well accentuated by that tune because everybody in the theater got it. It was almost like a sing-along. And that's not the yeah. only time in the movie that you get that feeling, but it might have been the the most overwhelming one where you just want to sing along with this song. Yeah, that moment totally gave you the movie theater experience, which we don't have as much of anymore. I mean, there, there's less content to really rally around in that way. And people just aren't in the movies as much, period. But uh, Aviv, I quickly wanted to check back on something you said that I thought was really interesting. Like, yes. you, you were talking about the binary love it or hate it experience yes. of the internet age. And how do you square that like mentality with the fact that 
I feel like simultaneously, everybody loves everything or everybody listens to everything. Like there was an article, I want to say in the New York Times this week at the time of recording where Gen Z kids are apparently like resurfacing new metal in this really popular yeah. way. And everyone hated new metal, at least if you were like, if you considered yourself like a music listener with actual taste. If you listened to Pavement and Steve Malcolmus, you didn't listen to new metal, God forbid. <laughs> and now, but I feel like, like I have to write about this kind of thing a lot where, and I feel like you see this in like teenage fashion or like early 20, like Gen Z fashion where it's not like they're pulling from one era in vintage fashion, but they're kind of like cherry picking from a whole bunch and just slapping it all together on like their bodies as a, like a, like a Pinterest or like a mood board. And so I feel like we also live in this era of like everyone likes everything all the time. So how do you square those two? Is this too, is this too deeply philosophical in my brain? Tell me if I'm making any sense. No, I, I, you know, I like to get philosophical, but I read this thing about, it was actually about filmmaking specifically i think about the movie after sun which is yeah. takes place in the mid 2000s and i think we'll do an episode on its use of under pressure at some point but it's mostly or or partially filmed on like a like a sony handycam which when i was growing up and starting to make films i hated the look of because to me it looked unprofessional and I wanted to be a professional filmmaker. And so now the essay that I was reading, and I wish I remembered who it was so I could credit the writer, was saying like the flaws in our generation are the things that come that the future generations embrace as the hallmarks of it, right? Cause like everything that's normal just gets passed down, but the things that were flaws that get kind of that evolve out, naturally selected out of society is what gets reappraised then in the future. And so I think the same, this is the same thing that's happening with new metal. New metal is a uniquely late nineties, early two thousands. Like what the fuck was happening to us that we were all just like, this is fine. And the younger generations can reappraise that now because they're, they have lived their, you know, the last 15 or 20 years without new metal. And then they can be like, wow, this really is this time capsule like Greta Gerwig is saying with push and like she said with crash into me and ladybird the flaws are part of its charm now yeah it's interesting you use the term time capsule because like the things that we in the moment think we're going to put in a time capsule to explain to future generations are what never the like things that time. matter yeah those usually don't end up being the things that the future generations actually care about from that time period and you know i i, I think that if you were to get, whether it's new metal or whether you're talking about matchbox 20 or whatever it was from that era i think it's just it's nice as a reminder to be like just go make your art and stop worrying about the effect it's going to have just make what's in your heart, get it out there in the world, and whether it stands out or whether it's quality or whether there's just some weird thing that people are going to pick up later on that maybe you don't even appreciate now, there's a chance for it to live beyond its supposed years, to have more of a shelf life than you thought it would. I like what you said about like the things that we would put in a time capsule aren't actually the things that future generations want to see in the time capsule. It's kind of like a, like a parent, like a mom trying to dress their kid, and the kid is like, mom, you have no idea. You don't yeah. get it. Yeah. Moms you, stay you still so they know? can see how far their daughters have come. <laughs> <laughs> There's something that you said, Rachel, that I wanted to 
touch back on, which is the like community aspect of the music. Right. And so like there literally is a sing along to push. There's like, there's, it's a sight gag in the movie, but you think it's just Ryan Gosling's Ken who's singing the song. And then we like track back and we see that every Ken is singing the same song to every Barbie. And there's a guy with a drum kit. There's a Ken with a drum kit. And I think that there is Greta Gerwig really understands that music exists as a communal, as a thing that you share with people. Cause the other songs in the movie also kind of have that sense of community. I'm thinking about Closer to Fine, the Indigo Girls song, which we almost, yeah. this episode was almost about. Yep. And how every time you hear it playing, there's someone singing along with it. Or yep. even the Lizzo song, which is kind of narrates the first sequence of the movie. It's like there are people interacting with the music and the music is interacting with the people. And there is something really spec like that's you know that's why we do this show there's something really special about the way that people share music with each other and even more than just seeing the pink everywhere in that opening number by lizzo you just you listen to the lyrics and you see everybody enjoying it and you see everybody on the same wavelength and it really ingratiates you to what this movie is going to become both from a a satire standpoint, but also from an earnestness perspective Mm. where there is this desire to live like in this nice little bubble, but at some point it's going to fracture. And how are we going to handle that? Yeah, that little song's great. So I wanted to put it to you guys because I've seen some rumblings on on the internet that Gosling should have been playing Wonderwall, right? That the the very on the nose version is that and the memeified version is that Ryan Gosling's playing Wonderwall because Wonderwall has become the meme of the guy with the acoustic guitar at the party. So is there do you think there is a better song that belongs in this moment instead of push. I don't think it's Wonderwall because I think that Wonderwall kind of sucks. I don't. That's funny. I haven't even seen that. But you're on very different sides of the internet. Apparently. Um, but I know that Wonderwall is like a de facto guy with guitar song, but I don't think that it would narrate the moment quite as in such a subversively funny way. It's too easy. Yeah, I mean, but like if the Kens are singing that the Barbies are going to save them, then that kind of undermines what the Kens want. That's a great point. And you also are not going to find anywhere near as quality of an ambassador as far as somebody willing to embrace this joke in Noel Gallagher as you would with Noel or William or anybody in Oasis as you would with Rob Thomas, who seems to be like having fun and like, right. you know, throwing the color pink and like dedicating it to Ryan Gosling. Like, like, like it seems like Rob, Rob Thomas is the perfect guy now to look back and be like, yeah, you can use my song because I mean, th- there could be like a, like a, your body is a wonderland usage. There could oh, be like some early what? John Mayer that maybe, could, but I still think one. that this was, and you know, even if Wonderwall was the more obvious choice, like in comedy, that sort of rule is like what, if you're writing a joke, whatever the most obvious punchline is, is ditch that and keep writing and get to like the second or third or fourth thing that you think of. Cause that usually is the funniest. I, I completely agree with you. I don't, th- I think that this is a perfect needle drop and one for the ages. I'm, I'm always worried when we do things that are brand new that like. It won't have the cultural staying powers, something like the Royal Tenenbaums, which we did a few weeks ago. But this one, I think, will be up in the pantheon of needle drops for a generation. I think this is great. Ryan Gosling is also no stranger to 
music, along with his turn in 2016's La La Land. In 2008, he released an album of his own called Dead Man's Bones. Have you heard Dead Man's yeah. Bones? It's pretty wow. good. I, like I haven't it. heard it, but I, I know it existed. It's like a very yes. spooky, like horror pop sort of thing. And so this relates to the one time that I met Ryan Gosling. Do you tell? Which is, I was in a band in Boston in 2008. And in Boston, there was a row of music venues that are, I think, mostly all closed down now that were all next to each other. And my band had a show right next door to where Dead Man's Bones was playing. And so this was 2008. Ryan Gosling was still the guy from The Notebook, but he was still like the guy from The Notebook. There were like, I think, zero people at our show. But after the show, our van had died and and like wouldn't turn over, wouldn't start. And so we called AAA. It's like one in the morning. It's, I think, a Tuesday night. It sucked. And Ryan Gosling, Dead Man Bones' like camper van was parked around the corner. And there was just a gaggle of young women dressed to the nines <laughs> like they would see Taylor Swift today but just like kind of waiting for him to come out of his trailer and so i was like oh i wonder if this the road crew has jumper cables so i kind of pushed my way through the the, the gaggle of girls and i was like do you have jumper? you just like bowling balled your way well i was i was polite about it but yeah. I, I didn't have time it's for a this. funny visual it wasn't like a matchbox 20 push it was no just no, like no. A, it was a nice was, little delicately love yeah yes and <laughs> and i asked the road crew for jumper cables they're like we don't have any but hang on a second. And then they just turned to like the sea of women and were like, any of you girls have jumper cables? <laughs> and so a couple of girls like clopped off to their car to get jumper cables. And as they came back to jumpstart our car, Ryan Gosling and crew like came around the corner from the pizza shop. And I don't know for certain. I'm just judging on my own experience. But he looked pretty high. <laughs> it was it was two in the morning on a Tuesday. He looked pretty zooted. And so I was like in the middle of like putting the jumper cables on on the car. And I say, Mr. Gosling, would you like to take a picture with us jumpstarting our car? <laughs> and he looks at me and then he looks at the jumper cables and then he looks back at me. And he's, yes, I would. <laughs> and so we have like a horrible blurry picture on a 2008 camera phone. And then afterwards, I go to like shake his hand as a thank you. And he wants to fist bump. But I'm it's like two in the morning. I'm very tired. I don't really like pick up on the social cue. And so I, re I really want to shake his hand. He really just wants to fist bump. And I just like shake his closed fist. <laughs> yep. Been there. <laughs> and then he is gone into the night. Yeah, that's yeah there's, there's so many missed opportunities with the greeting where it's like somebody's given and it's just like, just let me grab onto this or touch some sort of and then I'm out. And just uh, let me touch you, Ryan Costley. You got to do it with him. Yeah. There's been a lot of crowing online about how the Barbie movie is anti-man. It isn't. It's actually very compassionate to men who might not yeah. deserve it. It's either too left wing or not left wing enough, not suitable for children, too goofy to make a real statement. So it got me wondering, who exactly is the Barbie movie for? And to do that, I have to go back to 1959, because of course I do. Barbie was created by Ruth Handler in 1959 after she watched her daughter, Barbara, play with paper dolls, and she was like giving them adult jobs. And the game-changing idea was to make a doll that was aspirational instead of like a practice baby for little girls to hone their maternal skills on. But three years before Barbie hit the shelves... Ruth and her kids, Barbara and Kenneth, were vacationing in Europe, and Ruth came across a doll called Build Lily, which was like a plastic doll that you could undress. 
Build Lily was a cross between like a dashboard hula doll and a blow up doll. Apparently, <laughs> you would like give them to the groom at oh, bachelor yeah. parties. <laughs> yeah, I have to stress, <laughs> Build Lily was not a sex doll, but it was kind of like a novelty toy that definitely objectified women. Have you heard of these dolls? I heard about the purpose of the Build Lily, like on the daily. Sure. Yeah. The, the history. I, I learned about the history of Barbie through the Barbie movie. <laughs> well, they no, left that's... this out of the Barbie movie, if you can believe it. <laughs> Apparently, the kids in Germany found the dolls and found it just as fun to put clothes on the dolls as adults had taking clothes off the dolls. I, I did a kind of a deeper dive into the history of Barbie in an episode of Lyrics for Lunch, which you can listen to wherever you get your podcasts. But TLDR, Ruth Handler bought three dolls in Germany, gave one to her daughter, and brought the other two to Mattel, where they redesigned her and turned her into the first Barbie. And the first Barbie doll was marketed as a teenage fashion doll. Teen-age. This is how old we're talking. I think that the New Yorker might still style teenage that way. Really? Come on, guys. Wants to say that they do. Well, I could, I'd have to look it up, but it's 2023. But that's the kind of adherence to old folgery. Yeah. yeah grammar that they, that they do. <laughs> uh, there I, was, there were yeah. some lawsuits about the design of the doll and patent infringement, which were not featured in the movie, if you can believe it. But since 1959, Barbie has had over 200 careers actor, chef, dancer, musician, doctor, pilot, baseball player matador it's crazy there's a whole wikipedia article on it that i just fell down a wiki hole reading all of the jobs that barbie has had the idea here i think is that barbie is everyone and barbie is for everyone aspirational remember so no matter your dreams or career interests or ability or skin tone now mattel released a francie doll with darker features in 1966 but didn't release an actual black barbie doll until 1980 But now there is a Barbie for whoever you are and whoever you want to be, which brings me to the film. A live action Barbie movie was on the slate at Universal since 2009. But in 2014, after Lawrence Mark, who produced The Greatest Showman and Julie and Julia, after Lawrence Mark failed to get anything moving, the rights to the Barbie movie moved to Sony. A script was written by Jenny Brick, who wrote on Sex and the City and then Diablo Cody. Oscar-winning screenwriter for Juno and Jennifer's Body did a rewrite. And in 2016, it was announced that Amy Schumer would be Barbie. And Amy and her writing partner even took a pass at the script. But Amy left the project in 2017. And now currently, Amy Schumer is saying that she left because the script wasn't cool or feminist enough, which may have been true. It's definitely not the script that made it to the screens. And I'm not trying to call anyone a liar, but it feels a little like you didn't dump me, I dumped you. I would agree (laughs) with that vibe. It's not a great look. When you see Greta Gerwig speaking, granted this is to press, so I'm sure she's still like performing in some way. Her performance, Greta Gerwig's performance, seems like juiced with enthusiasm always. And warmth. And warmth. And when you see Amy Schumer speaking off stage, and Mark, I bet you might you might have some as a comedian, you might have some insight on this. But when you see Amy Schumer like speak, like I saw her, I think on like the, the Kardashians, where she's like helping Kim Kardashian oh prepare her SNL speech, and when she, I, I watched Amy's HBO documentary. There was just she just had a like like I don't I don't get warm from her 
Well, I'm also curious, though, to, to defend Amy, I would say it, it was a very different landscape, even as recent as 2016, and, and the things that were about to come down the pipeline from a cultural standpoint. And so I don't know what other forces she was running up against that maybe have had doors open since to get something that is a little more representative and a little more feminist through in 2023 versus even just you know a handful of years ago. But I think very that- true. Whatever, whatever she was, she was going to do with the Barbie movie. What the Barbie movie that we got with Greta Gerwig, I think, because like I, when I used to do like a daily movie kind of news show called Movie Talk, you know, I think we even like reported on Amy Schumer being behind it, and even before that, it's like they wanted to make a Barbie movie, they want to make a Tetris movie, they want to make all these things in Battleship. Like, yeah, a battleship, and it's like, how is this gonna work? Like, how is this gonna be anything other than just like dumb, stupid fun? And to not only like surpass that expectation, but make it like one of my favorite movies that I've seen this year. Yeah, you know, I, it's it, it, it really is an incredible accomplishment to have everybody in the theater, not just the certain demographic, to have everybody in the theater laughing and following along with it and clapping and applauding at the same moments, at the same jokes pretty impressive there's a secret unsung hero in all this i think one other thing i wanted to mention about amy schumer is i also remember when this was announced and immediately the internet was just a buzz with like comments about her body which is really fucking yeah. horrible and, yeah and if she had said oh i got all this internet hate because i don't look like a barbie doll and so i fucking quit i wouldn't not believe it yeah so in 2017 Anne hathaway was rumored to be in line for the role but then Sony's option expired. And so in 2018, they had to start all over again. Here's where our hero comes in. Margot Robbie. Mm -hmm. Margot Robbie was rumored to be in talks for Barbie right after her Oscar-nominated turn as Tanya Harding in the Best Picture snubbed I, Tanya. But the project seems so cursed that Forbes wrote an article called Will Margot Robbie's Barbie Movie Ever Get Made? What people don't know about Margot Robbie is that she's a really great producer. She got her first taste of producing films, feature films at least, on Itania and took it very seriously. I actually went to a screening, a pre-screening of Itania with a talk back with like a Q&A with Margot Robbie. And she was talking about having to sacrifice shoot days so she could afford a steady cam to be uh, on the ice with her and the stunt double as they skated. And this isn't like a vanity producer credit. Like she was running the numbers. She was She was really in the trenches. So... Margot Robbie and her production company, Lucky Jack, get a hold of the project. They take it to Warner Brothers. Since 2017, she's produced Birds of Prey, which I actually like, and the Oscar-nominated Promising Young Woman, the writer of which... With another great needle drop. Another very good couple, yeah. couple of good needle drops. A couple of good needle drops, um, but... Yeah, but Paris. the writer of which yeah. won an Oscar for her script and was in the Barbie movie. She played Midge, the pregnant Barbie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Emerald Fennel was Midge. Emerald Fennel was Midge. But Marco knows what she's doing. And so she got Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, who both had Best Picture nominated films in 2020, to jump on board to write the script. And soon after, Greta signed on to direct. And this is just my next chapter in my crusade against the idea of auteurs. And I really love Greta Gerwig. And I think her movies are great. And she's got a signature style. But this, the real driving force behind this movie is Marga. Mm hmm. Producer Barbie. Yes. <laughs> but this brings me back to the question at the top of my rant. Who is this film for? It's a movie based on a toy, so it's ostensibly for kids, but it has jokes about two Kens beaching each other off. And it portrays the real world, the world that Barbie ultimately chooses as disappointing, impossible to navigate, a hellscape that only can end in death. 
and also Kate McKinnon has marker on her face. It failed at Universal and Sony before Warner Brothers and Lucky Chap got a hold of it. And it could be as disastrous, as Mark said, as something like Battleship. Why does this movie work? Would you agree if I said that our generation or like we have never been more existential and and not even just our generation, but I don't want to get too bubbly about it, but it it does feel like we live in a very existential time now more than ever. And I do feel like while this movie is in love with the product, it's very nostalgic and it's very like interested in its history and canon. It also really captures an existential dread that's always existed, particularly with America's speech, which yes. I want to talk about a little bit more later in a minute. But well, I'm, I'm going to throw right to you. Yeah. <laughs> but also there's, I think, added layers of existential dread. I've never I've rarely seen a movie that you pivot from like a Truman Show type experience where everything is sparkling and perfect. And then you go in the Barbie perspective, then you do like a hard pivot into the real world where suddenly everyone's like as a woman, everyone's looking at you and you're incredibly self-conscious. I mean, that that's the kind of feeling that like gradually builds as a woman, like when you get older and then you start to realize, but it's almost like Barbie land is like childhood and then you are like forced into adulthood. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Greta Gerwig has cited the Truman Show as a big inspiration and the Wizard of Oz, but this feels kind of like a reverse Wizard of Oz, where Mm -hmm. Oz is the real world and it is fucking horrible. I think that's the big difference between Barbie and the Truman Show slash Wizard of Oz is that I'm not saying it's a better film than either one of those two, but it's funnier throughout and it maintains its tone better throughout. And I think to answer your question, Aviv, who is this movie for? This movie is for anybody who likes to laugh and celebrate seeing a comedy because the thing about comedy is that it's such a communal experience and so you see people in a theater even folks who you thought might not be interested in a barbie movie they just want to have a good time they just want to laugh and it's not the first example of taking a known property and sort of spoofing it in a very loving way because back in the 90s you had two great adams family movies and you also had two brady bunch movies that i really think passed the test as far as like being about the things they're about like the brady bunch felt like the brady bunch but it was also the brady bunch in this new modern world where they didn't belong at all but they somehow made it work and so it's not the first time we've seen this in cinema but i think that for this current generation getting to see this and you combine all that existential crisis stuff the existentialism that rachel was talking about it's it's an elixir that in the wrong hands could go really bad and die on the table but in the right hands it just makes this potion that is sort of that we've all imbibed and that we're all kind of drinking the kool-aid on we all want to laugh at it too yeah like i feel like that's a very common theme and the best comedy is taking the most existential stuff that keeps you up at night and and figuring out a way to laugh at it and make it universal people are selling etsy shirts that say you guys ever think about dying (laughs) (laughs) in the pivotal deprogramming scene America Ferrara passionately explains to the Barbies that the women have to be everything. They have to strike a perfect balance. Grateful, sexy, prudish, smart, but not too smart, patient, maternal. So, of course, the Barbie movie has to strike the same impossible balance. Right before we sat down to record and I was thinking about the speech again, I was like, wow, I bet this is going to be like the next Gone Girl, Cool Girl speech in a completely different context, obviously. But I think the bones of each speech... 
are, are the yeah. same. This is like if this came out in 2003, this would be like people's away messages. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I think both speeches are like exploring the same tension. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, America's speech in the Barbie movie. It is literally impossible to be a woman. You are so beautiful and so smart, and it kills me, she's speaking to Barbie, and it kills me that you don't think you're good enough. Like, we have to always be extraordinary, but somehow we're also, we're always doing it wrong. You have to be thin, but not too thin, and you could never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but also you have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. You have to be a career woman, but also always be looking out for other people. You have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane. But if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other women because you're supposed to be part of the sisterhood. But always stand out and always be grateful, but never forget the system is rigged. So find a way to acknowledge that, but also always be grateful. You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard. It's too contradictory. And nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out, in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. I'm just so tired of watching myself and every single other woman tie herself into knots so that people will like us. And if all of that is also true for a doll just representing women, then I don't even know. <laughs> I would bet dollars to donuts that that was the audition scene. This is, I guess, more a question for Mark. But Mark, are you familiar with the works of one Michelle Wolf? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, she has a really good joke that this whole thing reminded me of. And even if we do try to have it all, even if a woman out there definitely wants it all, we've put up too many obstacles in your way to make it possible. It's like, oh, congratulations, you're having a baby? Great, couple things. We're gonna need you to get that car accident of a body back to work as soon as possible because this is America and we don't think you need time to recover. Also, you should breastfeed. It's what's best for the baby. But don't do it in public, you pig. Do it in the old janitor's closet underneath the bridge with the rest of the breastfeeding trolls. And don't ask to take time off from work when your kids are sick. We'll think you're not dedicated. Also, why are you such a bad mom? By the way, your salary is just enough to cover the cost of childcare. And we know you're exhausted. You don't really know who you are anymore. You're trying to balance your old life and your new life. But quick, go have sex with your husband. He's about to leave. He doesn't understand what you're going through. Quick, go now. And sweetie, smile. Gotta be this and not that. <laughs> like, this is not the first time I've seen someone eloquently and like with humor. This is a little bit more sincere, I think, than Michelle Wolf. Right. And you would hope that a speech like that, as and it was so well delivered in the film, like you said, Aviv, it feels like the, the audition lines. You would hope that that does... At least even just by osmosis, subconsciously get into other folks' heads and just kind of realize that there is a message behind this movie because it is fun and it, and it's funny and there's great sing-along scenes, but there also there is a message behind it. And I think it is a universal message that, that can apply to a lot of different folks. Even if you don't think that you're in the demographic for Barbie, this movie can hit you in the right spots. Like, I mean, even for me, I was leaving the movie and I was like, I'm kind of like happy to be a human. Yeah, because like, it's like very life you know, affirming. we have our ups and downs, but we have feelings, and and what a gift it is to actually have feelings, even when you suffer a tragedy, even when something bad happens in your life. Like if if you have something bad going on right now, the Barbie movie is actually like a pretty good movie to kind of get through it. 
Yeah. So, of course, the movie's being criticized by the very people it aims to be kind to for not being exactly what they wanted it to be. And for the likes of human-trapped fart Ben Shapiro, that means just existing. To quote Rob Thomas, I want to push you down. I want to take you for granted. I think what Ben Shapiro and his cohort and other conservative-leaning minds who would agree with him are- we call them minds? No. (laughs) I'm being very generous by saying Extremely generous. (laughs) What they're missing is that they- they believe that gender and race relations have all they've been solved. We live in a society where no one's being oppressed. So No no white white men are being oppressed. Oh yeah, white men well if anyone's being oppressed, it's the white men, yes. But I think if this I think if Barbie is trying to tell us anything, it's that the patriarchy is bad for men as well. Yeah, I think that that's a really, really strong point, and it is so kind to a a group of folks that could be considered like incels or MRAs or whatever you want to say. It's like very, very kind to them because they are also the victims of the patriarchy. Yeah, And it's also proof that if you go to a movie very close-minded and refusing to open your mind to what the movie is doing or the message that it has, then you're not going to receive it. And I also feel like there's so much to celebrate about this movie. And even if you feel like you're being made fun of or your people are being made fun of at some point during this movie, take a page out of Rob Thomas's book and embrace it. And it's probably going to work out for the best for you. It's an honor to be satired sometimes. Barbie's being made fun of in this movie too. Matchbox 20's being made fun of in this movie and they both come out looking pretty well. That's a better wrap-up than I had written down. <laughs> I'm high-fiving the air right now. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for yeah. joining us. Mark, where can we find you on the internet and where can we find your work? Uh, across all social media platforms at Mark Ellis Live, primarily Instagram and Threads these days. Kind of fun Ooh. to be uh, to, to be threading over there. I You're not uh, obviously host Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. It's our biweekly podcast where we take a movie that might be maligned on the tomato meter or might be too fresh, and we debate whether it deserves its score on said meter. And like y'all, we're so nice to uh, mention up top my new stand-up special, Live and Well, is available through All Things Comedy and their YouTube channel. And last but certainly not least, as a shout out to the Barbie soundtrack, not only does it have the incredible time capsule tune push by Matchbox 20, it also features I'm Just Ken, not only a wonderful musical number in the movie, but it also features two of the great guitarists of our time currently shredding Slash and Wolfgang Van Halen. Check it out for the full version. You got to go see the movie. So there you go. I'm not too proud to beg to be on this Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong show. I have a list going in my head already. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it sounds like y'all are two quality candidates to get on here because yes. uh, anybody that has strong feelings and, and it's all in good fun. But again, sometimes you have to stand up and say, no, Sister Act 2 deserved much better than an 18% on the tomato meter. Mark, have you guys done Grease 2 yet? We have not done Grease oh. 2 yet. Will you please have me on for Grease 2, please? I'm going to make some calls. If you ever decide to do it, that is. <laughs> Rachel loves Grease 2. Have you done Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar? We've mentioned Tu Wong Fu in sort of like a rap episode where we we did like a bunch of movies quickly, I believe. But yeah. I think that a movie like that deserves the the full hour treatment. 
I will I will say an Oscar worthy performance from <laughs> both John Leguizamo and Wesley Snipes. But. And I remember when that movie was coming out, and it was another kind of like everybody's talking about this. So here's yeah. some fun trivia as we part between Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, and Grease Two. Can you tell me which film has a higher tomato meter rating? Oh my uh, god! I know that Tu Wong Fu is in the is in like the high twenties. I think. They're both rotten, so I'll kill that suspense. But should they be rotten is a different story. They're both rotten on the tomato meter. Rachel, your guess. You say tomato meter, not tomatometer. <laughs> the tomato meter. Okay, uh, I'm I'm gonna guess that Grease Two has a higher rating only because it's been reappraised so much in the last like what decade. I will say that it has been reappraised all the way up to 35% rotten mm. on the tomato meter. Oh yeah. To Wong Fu, 44 percent rotten on the tomato oh. meter. Wow. Much wow. higher than I thought. Wow. And the audience score for To Wong Fu is fresh at 71 percent So you that got that going for you. Grease two climbing up there 53%. It's got seven percent more to go to get to fresh. I think it can get there. Oh of course it can get well you know it will get there with my boost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mark, thank you so much for being with us. Please keep in touch. Please come back. I appreciate y'all. Keep on rocking. Thanks so much. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.